You're listening to the Employee Safety Podcast from Alert Media, a podcast for professionals responsible for the safety and well-being of their employees. Each episode features an interview with a leader in employee safety to discuss how to protect your employees from a wide array of threats, from severe weather to a global pandemic. Let's get into the show. Welcome back to the Employee Safety Podcast. I'm Peter Steinfeld. Corey White joins the show today to talk about the evolution of cyber risks and what every organization should know to better protect themselves. Corey is the CEO of a cybersecurity solutions company called Cybatar, and he's a 25-year veteran of the security industry. Previously, he's held leadership roles at several IT and security companies, including McAfee and CompTIA. He's also a regular public speaker and a panelist on the topic of cybersecurity. He recently led a presentation at this year's South by Southwest Festival in Austin, Texas, called Love Versus Fear, Why We Need a Security Revolution. The presentation offered a fresh and innovative perspective on what the future of cybersecurity should represent and was a highlight of the festival. And he speaks to some of those issues in today's episode. Let's get into the show. Corey, I know a lot of our listeners are really laser focused on cybersecurity right now. Many of them are just assessing their current cybersecurity programs or just reinventing them altogether. What's different now about the current cyber threat landscape versus just a few years ago? When I was doing cybersecurity in the early 2000s, I tell people that I, I do security. They think I was a security guard. And, and now they know, wow, cybersecurity, that's a big deal. People are actually interested. Some people say, cool job. So, yeah, everybody is aware of cybersecurity because the number of hacks have increased quite a bit in the last few years. And they're hitting just small to medium-sized businesses. Do you think we're seeing an increase in hacks because the hackers are getting more sophisticated and seeing more opportunity? People are letting their guards down? I think it's all of the above. Um, I, just, I don't think the guards ever were up to begin with. Mm-hmm. And, but people don't understand what we mean by you know, securing your computer. And I blame myself and the rest of the cybersecurity industry because we've put out there you know, these false you know, protection mechanisms that don't actually stop these attacks. People think, oh, about antivirus. But antivirus, I've spent 15 years in the antivirus industry at various levels. It's primarily a detection you know, tool. It's not a prevention tool. It can prevent the really, really basic, easy attacks, but a hacker can easily test and see if they can evade antivirus. Really, really simple. You, another area you think about is when, when people think about you know, those patches that come up on your computer, I get on my iPhone or my MacBook and says, hey, new critical patch, need to apply this. Most people don't apply those. So when you're just sitting at you know, the coffee shop on the internet and you haven't applied the patches, then somebody's just kind of scanning through the internet and then they see, oh, this is vulnerable to that vulnerability. I can launch an exploit and get access onto that computer. It's literally that simple. And so we need to do these basics and we need to be educated on what needs to be done to actually secure um, systems today. And that's one of the challenges, lack of education and all the misconceptions coming from the cybersecurity industry, making people think they actually are secure when they're not. Yeah, it seems like the nature of cyber risk has really evolved over the past several years. Would you agree with that? Oh, absolutely. Because you take ransomware, for example, ransomware is is hacking for profit. It is a way for a a, a company to a, a hacker group to get into companies and make money. They don't like be face websites or do any of those things anymore. They hack in and they 
make money off of you. There's those hundred million dollar hacker groups that, that all they do is ransomware. Mm. So yeah, the the evolution has been driven by money. And it seems like there's there's no real downside for them to do it. Like if you rob a bank, like clearly a lot is at risk. But if you're sitting ten thousand miles away in a foreign country and you try this stuff and there's no teeth to the enforcement, it makes it just more of an incentive for them to keep trying. Exactly. I mean, I, I was doing actually a security incident. Uh, gosh, probably about about 12, 12, 15 years ago, and I they literally robbed the bank. And and I was thinking to myself, why would anybody walk in with with a gun and physically rob a bank nowadays? And it makes no sense when you can just do it through the internet, and and it's really hard to trace. And then on top of it, depending on how you do the your particular hack, the banks may just be covered, you know, by their insurance, and mm-hmm. it's not worth investigating. And that's what happened to that one particular hack I was talking about. Wow, it just seems like all the incentives are aligned for this bad behavior to occur. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> unfortunately. How has the rise of remote work over the last couple of years impacted cyber hygiene for businesses? Are they getting better at it? Or are they just now realizing, oh my gosh, these are all the things that we're not doing well and there's still a lot of work to do? Yes, they would like this, Peter. So we, we weren't doing well prior to remote work because you had the, you had the internet, you have the cloud, then you have your internal network. Right. And then now with remote work, then you have all these remote users that aren't at the office behind the firewall and secured behind that firewall and all the protections that you have in your your physical location. Now all that goes away and the firewall is has become your computer. And so I, I did a talk a couple of years ago when all this was really hitting called the death of the firewall. The firewall has died because now your endpoint, your computer, that is all you have to protect yourself. Mm. And so that's what has evolved now. But again, the protection mechanisms and the mindsets of the users haven't called up to that. They still think they're at, you know, inside the office behind all these protection tools that they have. They're not. They're at home behind their internet browser and basically just sitting on the internet, which is why these attacks have increased and how this has really, really evolved over the years. Are there any kind of tools that you now suggest people use when they have this remote workforce? Like at minimum, you got to use X, Y, and Z because that firewall isn't there like it used to be. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I talk about this a lot. I recommend to anybody, make sure you have number one, multi-factor authentication, not just for your corporate environment, but for your, your bank, your Gmail, everything you could possibly use, use multi-factor authentication. Because I'll say this here, and I've said it many times, imagine your password is already compromised, okay? It just whatever it is, it could be the 16-character password. Imagine it's already compromised because there's so many hacks that are happening and so many password databases that have been stolen. And most people reuse passwords or some derivative of their base password then it's very easy to get get that password. Or if they even get onto your system, it's very easy to crack passwords nowadays. So imagine your password is compromised. So number one, you want to have multi-factor authentication or two-factor authentication for everything you do personally and professionally so that you have that extra layer of protection. Number two, I talked a little bit earlier about patch management, You know, making sure you don't have any vulnerabilities to to be exploited because whenever you have, you know, it could be even your your remote access software, your your Zoom, your Adobe, so on and so forth. All those things, they they release you know patches for them. 
And if you don't patch your applications and your operating system, then you're vulnerable to those attacks. And so whenever you see those things popping up, make sure that you're on a regular patching schedule. And then lastly, number three is your, again, we talked about this too, your endpoint protection. How get some antivirus that is next generation antivirus that uses artificial intelligence and actually configure it to block the execution of malicious software malware. Those are the three things that, that I recommend just as a base, you know, especially for small, medium-sized businesses. Large companies obviously should have this, but many of them unfortunately do not. And individuals need to have it. Those are like the table stakes for having decent cybersecurity nowadays. And once you get beyond those table stakes, what's the next level? Just in a, in 60 seconds or less, are like VPNs something people should consider? They can. They can help protect you know, your data depending on how you're configured. But I would, I, I think awareness training mm. and education would be, be that next level because people need to understand, you know, not to click on certain links and, and, and what these attacks actually look like. Because if somebody's going to try to think about it, take it to your home, somebody's trying to break into your house. You want to know what techniques they're going to try to, you know, come through. If there's this new way to bypass your front door, you don't know about it. You don't know how to fix it. So you need to know all the little tricks that they're going to throw at you. And, and then that'll help educate you to not click on those links or not go to those websites or look at the, the actual sender that is sending it and realize, oh, this isn't the right company, you know, URL or email address. So, so all those things are, are need to be done. That'd be the next level. No, that's great advice. I think about, I've been in IT for over 30 years, clearly using tech before that as well. And I consider myself a sophisticated user, but sitting down a couple times a year and going through that training makes me now just think before I ever click on anything, an attachment, a URL, I inspect the email address it came from. I think about, should this person be sending it to me? It really just makes me slow down and think instead of just automatically clicking on something. So I think that's fantastic advice. Yeah, one other piece I want people to be aware of, and yeah, I think you kind of alluded to it here, is when you think about clicking on those links, there's a thing called spear phishing. And what that is, is targeted. So the worst part about what we have today is we have all, everybody has social media accounts. And everybody wants to paint, put those cool pictures of them at you know Disneyland and with the family and traveling on a cool vacation. Right. Well, the minute you do that, then I have information about where you're at and what you're doing. And I say, hey, I saw you on at the haunted house in Disneyland. I wanted to say hi. And I wanted to show you this cool new business I'm starting. Check out this link. Mm. And you know you were there because you posted a picture there. He knows you're there. If you posted a picture there. And so they're using information that you have put out there against you to make you click on the link. And then you immediately, you know, want to trust these people. And then I just spoof where it's coming from. I spoof that, like, oh, I see your your friend is Michael Scott. And I make it look like it came from Michael Scott. And I'm like, hey, I was there. And then people will click. So that's why you have to have those other layers of protection in place. Because if somebody really is targeting you and you put that information out there about yourself, then they can easily get you to click a link and make it look like a trusted source based upon data that you've already put out there. Yeah. And I think another a big thing for people to remember is if you do click on something and you even remotely think, uh-oh, what did I do? Don't hide it. Immediately reach out to your IT group and let them know. There's no shame whatsoever. Yeah, 100%. I mean, it's we all have done it. I mean, I, I've done it. I've clicked on stuff and they, they use information out there. I think one of my contractors working on my house was compromised. 
And so they used their information and I realized, oh, this wasn't them actually. Mm -hmm. But they knew exactly where we were in the process and, and they were trying to get me to pay them instead of the actual contractor. But they had information because they probably compromised that contractor. So they get the best of us. Yeah, absolutely. Well, what are the biggest mistakes you see organizations making either before or after a cyber attack? Well, a few things. Uh, first and foremost, I don't think that the industry and organizations are approaching it correctly. And the cybersecurity industry, we talk a lot of, of, about detect and respond, manage detection and response, extended detection and response. And so an organization, they may go to that company and buy that detection and response, but they don't have any preventative controls in place. Okay. So this is like saying, hey, I have a ring camera that's focused on my front door, and anytime somebody comes in, we'll detect it, and we'll send you an alert. That's detection and response, right? Mm -hmm. But you don't close and lock your front door. And so some of the things I talked about is just closing and locking the front door. I think that's, that's one of the biggest challenges that, that I see in the industry is just the mindset and the approach that companies are taking. The second thing I see is, and this is one of the things that we're, we're um, helping to do here, here at Cybercar, is because we saw how bad the problem is, is being able to make cybersecurity accessible. It, it is so expensive and you think, well, I don't know, I don't know anything about cybersecurity. Most small and medium-sized businesses, they don't do anything because they think it's too expensive. They, they think they can't figure out how to implement it and they just give up. And so as, as the rest of the industry, we focus so much on large companies, the attacks coming from small companies that's happening so much because that's where all the ransomware attacks are happening. I heard a stat, it's anywhere between 250 to 500 uh, ransomware attacks happen every single day. Wow. It's happening that way because these small to medium-sized businesses aren't doing anything in most cases because they don't know where to start. There's too many products and it's too complicated. So that's a big challenge that we need to overcome because they start with the small companies, then you hear about the big ones in the news but it's happening so much every single day and nobody's reporting it. And I think you absolutely should report it. The FBI is not going to go and say your company and blast all over the news that your company has been compromised. What they will do is that helps with the intelligence that they need on the back end to know what hacker groups are doing so that they actually can stop it. And we don't know how many happens every day. You think it's 250 to 500 a day because most people aren't reporting it. They're either just paying it or just fixing it or just rebuilding computers on their own. So it's a huge problem all around. Are there any other mistakes that organizations often make when they think about cybersecurity? Yes, yeah, the interesting one that, that came up um, recently is when, when companies, and I, I wouldn't call it a mistake, Peter, it's one of those catch-22s. If I were to see companies posting for a cybersecurity position, and I look and I look on LinkedIn and I see, oh, they don't have a cybersecurity team. Then they're kind of right for an attack. And so it's, you obviously need to hire people if you're a larger company and it's, you're giving away that you don't have the cybersecurity expertise in house. So it creates a challenge. And like I said, a bit of a catch 22 because you just got to be careful that when you're advertising that you, you're hiring a cybersecurity team, that also means you don't have a cybersecurity team. So um, if somebody is targeting you, then they're seeing that same information. So it's just something to be be careful with or just cognizant of because there, there is an increased risk. Everything is out on the internet, can be used against you, and, and it is. 
the hackers are absolutely using it. That is good intel to know that they don't have a, a cybersecurity program in place. Yeah, that's a great point. Do it with more discretion. Do you have an example of an organization that you've worked with in the past that experienced a cyber attack that ended up resulting in valuable lessons learned and better practices after the fact? Perhaps our listeners can learn from the pain of others. Yeah, yes, yeah, 100%. About three years ago, I, I did an incident and um, it was a small, small financial company. They had about five employees and, and those five employees, um, but it was, they were in finance. And when I jumped on the call the first time with them, they said the ransom is $50,000. And I, I said, that's, that's high. That's really high. For a small company, usually they're going to try to do it, you know, I don't know, two to 5,000 or something like that. It's never going to be that much. I said, I suspect that this isn't just somebody clicking on something and it dropping ransomware on a couple machines. I think they hacked into your organization. They know how much money you have. And, and that's why they set the ransom at this amount because they knew you had that in some account or they looked at your financials. But I could not prove it until we did some forensics on those systems. So we went on, we, we um, went through help clean up their environment and, and build, rebuild them. And then once we got them up and going again, at the same time, we had somebody doing forensics on a system. And once we got the forensics results back, we absolutely could tell that a couple of weeks prior, Somebody hacked into their network. Um, they pillaged around through their network, read through their files, copied some of their files off, stole some data, but they knew exactly what this company had in the bank. So the, the moral, moral of the story is that I want people to realize is that this isn't you making a mistake and actually clicking on something. Ransomware used to be just malware. It is a hack. Okay. So they actually got hacked into first. This, the hackers had administrator access and they were able to go into their, their network and pillage through their files. Um, they looks like they used a weak password to get into one of their systems where they didn't have multi-site authentication that was just sitting on the internet. So they got in that way. So when I talk about passwords and patching and everything else, that stops the first step of a ransomware uh, attack because when they get in, they're going in and they're you know, disabling access to backups because they want to make sure they get paid, okay? So if you don't have a backup, then you kind of got to pay them. They're looking at how much money you have. So they'll know, oh, they actually have this money, so I can ask for that much. So it's all about them running their business and designing their hacks in a way so that they can ensure that they actually get paid. So that's that's the case that he has seen. There's lots of lessons learned there. People think it's just, I need antivirus. No, you need antivirus, the next gen, and a blocking state, multi-factor syndication, your system's patched and locked down from the very beginning to prevent these types of attacks. Would it be fair to say that cyber criminals are similar to physical criminals in that they're opportunistic in nature? And then if you just make your target look less inviting than your neighbors, then they'll tend to just skip beyond you unless they've got a vendetta against you and they're really trying to do something. <laughs> so if you just do the basics, you can oftentimes just deflect them away from you toward an easier target. 1000%. That's why you hear me talk about, you know, low hanging fruit types of attacks. But I drop them into two categories. Number one is it's what I call, you know, drive by hack, right? So a drive by hack, you know, if the, if the criminals are driving down the street and they look at your house, and they say, oh, well, your garage door is open. They see everything, all the cool stuff you keep in your garage. And then they see your side gate is open. When it gets dark, guess whose house they're going to break into? They're going for yours, okay? Mm -hmm. 
And so that's what happens on the internet. When they're scanning the internet, they see you haven't patched anything and you have weak passwords and on and on and on. That's whose system they're going to break into. And a lot of that happens automatically. Just automatically, they'll see you have a vulnerability to exploit, execute, drop malware, and then next thing you know, they got remote access to your system. So that happens automatically every single day. The other type of attack, like I said, is a nation state attack where they're sophisticated hacker groups. And these hacker groups are specifically going after targets. And there are groups and sometimes large groups of people that are contracted to hack in after a certain company and go for that target, and they're not going to stop. So those are the two types of hacks. Wow. Well, in your opinion, what does the future of cybersecurity look like for businesses? And I know that's a pretty broad question, but what are the key things people should be thinking about? The cybersecurity industry is still in its infancy, and we're still figuring a lot of things out, but we have to grow up really, really quickly. And we have to find ways that companies can get secure in a really, really efficient manner, as opposed to non-technical people trying to figure out how to be technical and stop these sophisticated attacks. So I think automation is going to be a big deal and, and removing the need for you know, buying products and services, just getting it automatically done. I see that happening in the future. You bring up an interesting point. All this tech out there has evolved so quickly yet cybersecurity seems to be stuck in the past. Why do you think that is? Why, why isn't there a natural evolution that follows like the Napster to Spotify model? Well, if you think about it and you compare, like I'm a big music guy, so you compare the music industry, you know, really, yeah, I, I, again, I guess I'm not an expert, but I when it started in like the 30s or something, when they really started to record music and make records. And so been around for a very long time. And so for it to evolve with tech into the MP3s and eventually into streaming services, same thing with movies, I mean, these, these industries are very mature and ready to be, you know, democratized and, and moved into that next mm -hmm. level. You know, cybersecurity really started in the mid-90s. Yeah, back when I started, I could be the security guy. Yeah, you know, query the security guy that knew everything about cybersecurity because it wasn't that much to know. Right. Now, not even close. I, I can't know everything about cybersecurity. And then the other reason that I think this is happening, this is a $150 billion industry and growing year over year. There's a lot of money made in the cybersecurity industry. And I hate to say it, a lot of money is made off of the attacks, what we call the insecurity of security. So when companies get hacked, that's when they spend more money on cybersecurity. So the industry may not want all these things to be to be fixed and mature as fast as maybe the end consumer or end customer. Yeah, that makes sense. To wrap up, what do you think should be top of mind right now for businesses as they continue to assess and reevaluate their cybersecurity programs? I think it, it, everybody needs to start thinking in outcomes and and not in in the the pieces that lead up to it. So in cybersecurity. If I just, you know, buy a cybersecurity product, but I don't implement it fully, get value out of it, or if I just do an assessment and figure out what everything is wrong in my environment, but don't actually get it remediated, then I never got to the outcome of being secure. And my goal was to be secure, not to just buy a product or not to have an assessment or a gap analysis or whatever. The goal was to be to secure. So I think everybody needs to start thinking in that mindset of, What's the outcome of that? And challenge your cybersecurity vendors. And if you're MSPs or MSSPs, challenge them. What outcome am I getting from this? 
and don't let them say, hey, we're going to give you alerts. And, and then also ask what time frame you're going to get that outcome and that value. And if that doesn't work, because the hackers are hacking every single day, okay? They were like this. They don't stop hacking. You do your yearly assessment or the vendor, I was just talking to somebody earlier today, and the cybersecurity vendor is taking nine months to install the agents that do the alerting, not actually stop the, the systems from being hacked, just sends the alert when something happens. So the hackers are hacking every day. So if you wasted nine months just to get something to tell you an alert, you're not getting an outcome. So I mean, everybody should have an outcome-based mindset as it relates to cybersecurity. Uh, that's fantastic advice. Well, thank you so much for being on the show today. We really appreciate all your time and expertise. Now, this has been really fun. Thank you. Fantastic questions you had. I appreciate being a part of this. You bet. If anyone out there would like to know more about Cyvatar or connect with you personally, how can they do that? Yeah, we're at Cyvatar.ai, C-Y-B as in Victor, A-T-A-R dot A-I. And then you can also find me on LinkedIn. On, I'm Corey D. White on LinkedIn, or you can go to our Cyvatar page on LinkedIn and find me there. Please send me a direct message. Say hello. Happy to chat more. Excellent. Well, thanks again to Corey and all our listeners for joining us on the Employee Safety Podcast. If you like what you heard, I encourage you to subscribe to future episodes at Alert Media's website or on your favorite podcast player. We would also appreciate you giving us a rating on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. Have a safe week, everyone. Alert Media is changing the way your leaders and response teams connect and communicate effectively when seconds matter. We provide our customers with a comprehensive solution for monitoring threats around the world and deploying fast, effective emergency communication. You need a panic-proof solution for high-stakes moments. In just a few clicks, your team can send a multi-channel notification to an impacted group of people and confirm their safety immediately. When employee safety is at stake, don't just communicate. Connect and confirm with a robust emergency communication solution. Visit alertmedia.com for more information. You've been listening to the Employee Safety Podcast. To ensure that you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show in your favorite podcast player. If you're listening in Apple Podcasts, we'd love for you to give a quick rating of the show. Just tap the number of stars you think the podcast deserves. Thank you so much for listening. Until next time.